Southwest Crimes contains adult themes, strong language, and violence that is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of the true crime podcast, Southwest Crime. We are your hosts, Lauren Manguso. And Justin Whitmore. And today we have an interesting case that just broke last year and is still developing as we speak. The story takes place in several locations throughout the Southwest, and we are talking about uh, the potential serial killer arrested in northern Arizona for connections in at least three murders back in the 1970s. Murders which may have never been linked back to him if it wasn't for one minor slip-up. in this mysterious puzzle is that of the murder of Julia Woodward. Julia was a 21-year-old native to San Rafael, California. She was last seen by friends on February 1st, 1979, when she had left for Nevada looking for work. Friends and family reported her missing a few weeks after because they had not seen or heard from her, and she had promised, you know, when her friends took her to the San Francisco airport, there she's like, as soon as I get settled in, I'll give you guys a call. Weeks went by and nobody heard anything, so they were getting a little bit concerned. They just wanted to make sure she was okay. Um, And, of course, they called it in, and naturally, police didn't seem too worried. And the family really didn't have much information to give as far as her location in Nevada anyways, because they didn't really know what route she took. They didn't know how she got there, what part of Nevada she was in, where she was working. Like, they didn't know anything. Yeah. She just was like, all right, guys, I'm heading out start my new life. I'll call you when I get there. The only thing that they could add to this case was that she was a quote, known hitchhiker. So she hitchhiked regularly, which to us, again, we've discussed this before. That is just like the craziest thing ever. And you don't pick up hitchhikers and just know. But back in the seventies, that was pretty common. Like people hitchhiked all the time and there really wasn't that threat of, I mean, I'm going to be chopped up by a serial killer or, you know, Edmund Kemper's going to pick me up. But yeah, it was just a different time. So police sort of like brushed off this information. They chalked it up to her leaving home to start this new life. And they didn't really think anything else of it. Basically, what I'm trying to say is they didn't look into it more than just like, all right, we'll take the information down. If we hear from her, we'll let you know. Like like I've said in the past, you could just disappear (laughs) and police were like, it's... Yeah. It's normal. Yeah, this is this is what people do. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they didn't think anything of it until almost two months later, when on March 25th, a body was discovered in a remote area in Hungry Valley, just 15 miles north of Reno. The body was of a young woman with long brown hair. The death was determined as a homicide as her eyes had been sealed shut with band-aids to act as like a makeshift blindfold, and her legs had been zip-tied at the ankles, and a piece of cloth was used as a gag. Rocks nearby were covered in hair and blood, and at the time of the body's discovery, she was completely naked with the exception of one shoe. 
Her ID and articles of her clothing had been taken from the scene. The woman had died as a result of blunt force trauma to the head. It only took a few days for authorities to determine that the body they found out in the middle of nowhere was that of Julia Woodward. Since forensics was not nearly as advanced at the time and there were no immediate suspects since it was like over a month since anyone had reported seeing or talking to her, the case went cold like almost immediately and would remain that way for at least another eight months. In November of 1979, the body of 18-year-old Jeannie Smith was discovered in a shallow grave in the Hungry Valley just one mile away from where Julia Woodward's body had been discovered. Jeannie was a waitress who worked at Circus Circus on the Strip. She was last seen at the hotel on October 27, 1979 at like around 9 p.m. It was her night off and she had told a friend that she was going to score some cocaine and she'd be back within an hour. When the hour came and went, her friend kind of just assumed that she was like blowing her off and she carried on with their plans without Jeannie. Little did she know that the, that encounter that they had just an hour before would be the last time that anybody saw Jeannie alive. Along with Jeannie's body, investigators found tape, cloth, and rope at the scene, similar to that found with the body of Julia Woodward. So already they were starting to think this is probably not good in the same killer. Yeah. Also similar to the Woodward case was the body of the victim was found completely naked with the exception of one shoe still left on and her ID and articles of her clothing had been missing as well. Hmm. Authorities noted, yeah, exactly. Authorities noted that pieces of tape found at the scene were approximately the size of band-aids and were tangled in Jeannie's hair. So they could assume it was probably used the same way to yeah. like cover her eyes. The cause of death was also determined to be blunt force trauma to the head. Sexual assault was assumed based on the condition in which the body was found and the fact that the zipper on her jeans indicated like it was forcefully pulled open. The same was assumed for Julia Woodward. They just assumed that she had been sexually assaulted as yeah. well. Now, at this point, authorities were on high alert for the possibility of a serial killer in the area, and they followed every lead they possibly could. They wanted to, like, nip this in the bud before it got out of hand. But again, because of the state, foren the state of forensics at the time, both cases went cold. And for nearly 30 years, these files on Julia Woodward and Jeannie Smith would just sit and collect dust. That is, until our perpetrator would strike once again. In September of 2007, a 25-year-old woman identified in paperwork only as the initials A.E. and her family were traveling from California to Utah to attend a funeral. After the funeral, A.E. wanted to return home to California before the rest of the family and she decided to hitchhike home. Okay, I kind of understand hitchhiking like, you know, in the 70s again, but hitchhiking in the 2000s, like, this was 2007. This is also before Uber, though. I get it, but still, you wouldn't have taken an Uber. That would have been hella expensive oh, to yeah, take an Uber. Course. And I'm assuming, based on the information given here and the, like, resources out there for getting to different locations, that they she probably was strapped for cash, didn't have a lot of money, yeah. just wanted to hitchhike. But seriously, like, 2007, I since the day I was born, our parents were like, do not hitchhike. Do not pick up hitchhikers. That is how you get chopped up and murdered. Like, really? 2007? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 
So AE hitchhiked from Utah to Nevada County, California, before stopping at a rest stop for the night. The next day, she found a piece of cardboard outside and wrote the words Yuba City, which is, of course, another city in Northern California. And that's where she kind of wanted to go to get her next ride. Like, she was just going place to place that she knew. A van that had been heading in the opposite direction made a U-turn and then pulled up to AE to offer her a ride. When she mentioned that the van was heading in the other direction, the driver brushed it off as saying that it was the direction he was actually heading was the direction she was heading to Yuba City. He had just turned around because he was wanted to get a cup of coffee. Already, there are some serious red flags going up yeah. for me right now. First of all, somebody is like really happy to pick you up hitchhiking, flips a bitch, comes to you, and then you're like, but weren't you heading the other direction? They're like, oh, no, 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 I was just going to get coffee. I was heading no big the deal. exact location you're right. looking for. And then they start driving, and it's like, he never turned around to go get that coffee again. So, very suspicious to me. I don't know. Nevertheless, AE accepted the ride, and the two set out towards Yuba City. Uh, during the ride, the driver began discussing geology, which, oh my god, this sounds just like a road trip with mom, uh-huh. <laughs> when AE showed interest in that subject. Um, he kind of mentioned that he had a spot nearby where he mined his own turquoise and, like, would she like to see it? The driver then took it upon himself to take her to this spot where he supposedly mined his own turquoise and he assured her that it was, like, not far off the road. He's like, don't worry, it's only a couple minutes down this way. I'd like to show this to you because you can get some really great pieces of turquoise, which I think is fucking weird. Like, huge red flag here again for me. If you are hitchhiking with somebody and they're going to take you off of a main road, you need to get the fuck out of there now. Yep. But after 20 minutes or so, AE noted that they ended up on this, like, extremely secluded road and it was in a heavily wooded area. Now, if I can just throw a little geology nerd tidbit in here... Because I love me some science, and this is exactly what was going through my mind when I'm reading this story. Among all the other red flags that should be going off right now, just as an FYI, turquoise is only found in like really dry desert areas, not wooded forests. So if this was happening to me, and again, it never would, because one, I would never hitchhike or get in a van with a creepy person or get in a van with a person I don't know in general, because we all know what happens in vans. But if he's like, yeah, I'm going to take you to this place where they're mining turquoise and we drive up to some wood and I'd be like, excuse me, no, this is not where turquoise is. Bullshit. Yeah. Just as an FYI. Uh, now, at this point, the driver parks the van and indicates that they need to hike the rest of the way up, that his, can't, his van can't go any farther into this area. So the two set out for this, like, alleged mining spot. And at some point during their hike, A.E. crouches down to tie her boot. She suddenly feels a hand on her shoulder, and when she looks up, she sees the man holding a handgun and pointing it at her. The driver of the van made her lie on her stomach while he zip-tied her wrists and her ankles together and removed her boots. Sound familiar? When she asked what his intention was, he simply stated, The only thing that's going to be involved is sex, and we're just going to be here for a few days having fun. Once she was totally bound, the driver left the victim to return to his van for something. He did not say what. He was just like, I'll be back. During this time, A.E. was able to fish a pocket knife out of her pocket and cut the zip ties around her ankles. And then she was able to escape 
and run off until she came across two men who were riding ATV in the woods. Pretty resourceful. That's kind of badass. Uh, She told the men what happened and begged them for help, to which they took her back to their cabin and called the police immediately. Obviously, at some point during this time, the driver had returned to find his victim had escaped. Definitely like an oh shit moment for him. And he hastily attempted to get rid of any evidence leading to the crime. He changed his clothes, moved his van, discarded his handgun, and then attempted to get rid of all of A.E.'s personal belongings that she'd left in his van. But thankfully, authorities were still able to track him down, arrest him, and get a positive identification by the victim. The driver was named as 61-year-old Charles Gary Sullivan. Charles was kind of a weird dude to begin with. He drifted along, like, moving all over the western United States. And although he had a few run-ins with the law, nothing, like, really serious. No felonies or anything that would show up on his record. Like, not even really misdemeanors. It was kind of just like, you know, he got arrested. They let him off with a warning. Things like that. Uh, Police noted that while taking him to Nevada County Jail... That his demeanor was, like, not what you would expect of a man who was being charged with kidnapping at all. He was extremely calm, and he even, like, fell asleep ten minutes into the ride. (laughs) Which I'm like, what? How is that even a thing? I don't know. Sociopaths. Yeah. He's just calm as shit. Basically. It's just like, oh, I guess this might as well happen. I'm gonna get off. I don't care. Yeah. During the investigation leading up to his trial for for the 2007 incident, Sullivan's computer was then searched and browser history included things like naked children, child sex, and lost hitchhikers in California. Never good. Yeah, creepy as shit. Never good, okay? Uh, A jury convicted Sullivan of false imprisonment and criminal threats, but they actually acquitted him of kidnapping which required him to only register as a sex offender in California. So he didn't get any, like, additional jail time, probation, nothing. He just has to register as a sex offender. And also, how the fuck was that not kidnapping? Right. Like, how the fuck? I don't don't understand California, but whatever. Now, just committing this crime alone was evidence enough that this guy was, like, a sick fuck. But again, police just felt like his demeanor was really weird. They're like, this is just not something that somebody who gets picked up for kidnapping the first time they've done it right. does. Now, he didn't get tried for kidnapping, but even the police were still calling it, like, a kidnapping yeah. case. Um, he was, you know, so calm about the entire incident, it was almost like he had done it before. Then... In December of 2007, Nevada County Sheriff's Office received an anonymous tip from a caller saying that Sullivan was involved in a homicide in Reno around 1978 or 1979. The woman caller, who was totally anonymous, by the way, indicated that Sullivan had been dating the young girl at the time of her murder and indicated that they believe he was involved in multiple events that happened in Nevada and Idaho throughout the years. Police believe the specific murder the woman was referring to was that of Jeannie Smith. You see, during the initial investigation of Jeannie's, like, um, disappearance, Jeannie's friend, who was the last one to speak to her before she was basically gone and they found her body later on, indicated that she was going to meet up with some guy named Chuck. 
After her body was found, the police had a composite sketch made of this man named Chuck, and investigators believed, now this wasn't like at the time they believed this, but it was after the fact when they're kind of piecing the puzzle together, they believed that the sketch looked remarkably similar to a photo of Sullivan near the time of Jeannie's disappearance. While Chuck had always been a person of interest in this case, lawyers say that he fled Nevada shortly after Jeannie's disappearance, not because of this case, but because of another Reno woman's disappearance at the time. March 9th, 1979, 23-year-old Linda Taylor had been officially reported missing by her roommate. After her disappearance, a local newspaper had begun publishing articles asking for information about a man last seen with Taylor at the bank just days before she went missing. A tip called in at the time led back to Sullivan. When he was initially questioned on Linda's whereabouts, he flat out lied and he said he had never seen or met this woman before. But only after some grilling by the police did he admit that he had gone on one date with her, but he had no idea where she was at the time. So he's backtracking now. He's like, well, maybe. Love the story. I know, right? I I, I don't know where. Well, we hung out. We went on a date, okay, whatever. I don't know her. (laughs) On March 18th of 1979, Taylor's car was found abandoned in a grocery store parking lot in Reno, just 10 miles from where the bodies of Woodward and Smith were found months later. At the time Taylor's car was found, Reno police learned of two girlfriends of Sullivan's and tried to interview the women individually to learn more about him or like the cases around him. Both declined the interviews and stated that they would not answer any questions related to Sullivan or Taylor. In April of 1979, both women told their neighbors that they were leaving the state. One of the women indicated she was going to California to care for her dying father, and the other woman told her neighbors that she was going to Arizona to care for her dying mother. Very original stories, right? Sullivan and the two women then fled Nevada to an undisclosed location. Now, a tip to several murders that happened 30 years earlier alone isn't enough to arrest a man, obviously. Like, they have to do their investigation. But with this connection and with Sullivan's slip-up in 2007 where he quote-unquote kidnapped this girl, um, Nevada County had obtained a search warrant for his DNA. When detectives had his DNA compared to the DNA found on Julia Woodward's pants, it was... You guessed it, a perfect match. Oh, he done did it. He done did it. Now, as we all know, the world of a homicide investigation is unfortunately not always a speedy process. And although this tip about the murders came in the same year that he was convicted for his 2007 incident, it would take many, many more years to actually link him to this case, at least enough like to take action for Uh, During the time, he would go on to violate his parole on three separate occasions, and he failed to register as a sex offender three separate times. Finally, 40 years after the murders of Julia Woodward, Jeannie Smith, and Linda Taylor, multiple police agencies stormed Sullivan's home on the Mogollon Rim in northern Arizona on August 28, 2019. Unfortunately, he was not home at the time, but he was eventually apprehended in Prescott, Arizona, where he worked for many, many years as an auto dealer. So he was like, he owned an auto shop. Um, Sullivan was extradited to Nevada on a grand jury indictment on November 15, 2019, at the age of 73. Prosecutors asked that bail be denied due to the overwhelming evidence against him in connection to the cold case murders of several young women. 
Neighbors and friends indicated that they were shocked to hear about the allegations brought against Sullivan, that he and his wife had led a very quiet, seemingly normal life, like up in the mountains, and he seemed like a really friendly and fair dude to live by. Like, he was just this guy, he owned his own little um, auto dealership down in Prescott, and he was just living life. Sullivan's wife stands by her husband saying she does not believe that he is guilty in any of these crimes. I find that hard to believe because he was absolutely convicted of, like, I don't know what the charges were. I forgot. But the kidnapping, basically, of that chick. Like, he did that. But he did that, and it was the same MO in the same area. Exactly. I guess not necessarily. It was the same type of area, like the Nevada, Utah, California, that that kind of whatever. Um, The first hearing of this case was actually in November of 2019. Like, this just happened. Where he pled not guilty to all charges. State Attorney General Aaron Ford was quoted as saying, all evidence points to this defendant being a serial killer. As in, there's probably way more women than just the three that they've identified as of right now. Another hearing is set to take place on January 30th, 2020. So literally 25 days from now. Yeah. When we're recording this anyways. Um, And to this day, the body of Linda Taylor has never been found. So, yeah. That's crazy. Like, this just happened yeah and a little scary to think that it was just here in prescott and he was just living his life doing his thing after it makes me wonder like how many because okay forensics was not that great back in the 80s the 70s the 60s like how many serial killers have you and i come across probably a couple but the (laughs) other the other thing with this guy is because forensics wasn't not just forensics wasn't great but there was no communication across state lines right so he could have killed people in Nevada, Utah, yeah. Washington, Idaho, California, New Mexico, Anywhere. Arizona. Anywhere he could have killed that he was, yeah. Tons of people in the Southwest and California and Pacific Northwest. Anyway, he could have killed a ton of people around the western area of the United States and no one would connect it yeah. until he's probably convicted. Yeah. And at that point, he's going to be an old man in prison. They right. don't really last like, long. There could be like a bunch of killings with the same mo in washington in oregon and because there's like you said there's not this like communication going on or they just found this guy many years later like who knows who what he's actually responsible for also maybe he didn't have the same mo all the time like maybe just in the nevada area he had this mo and then he changed it up like there's there's just there's some serial killers that do change up a little bit here and there and unfortunately because he's going to be one of those guys that like they caught him but it's so many years later he's going to deny everything you'll probably never know you know there's some that will actually be like yeah i did it all right sit down like jeffrey dahmer is like let me tell you all these people that i killed i don't see him as being this kind of guy so you'll never know that's sad i don't know But as we said, there's a number of hearings set to take place later this month, which when we learn more, we will be sure to update everybody on. And yeah, I don't know that they say it's innocent until proven guilty, but I'm like almost 100% sure he's guilty of something. I mean, the fact maybe if they had just like gotten his DNA some other way and linked it to that, then maybe you could be like, it's still really likely, but he's settled down then. But like, it's as recently as 2007 he was pulling shit like this like you yes. know he was gonna kill that chick exactly you know he was gonna do it so 
That's every every serial killer that ever sexually assaults a woman is always, well, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to rape you. And then oh, oh, no. they kill them. You're going to get killed. And or th- you're going to get tortured for it, the rest of your life. It just reminds me of BTK. Yeah. Like, BTK would be like, I'm not going to do anything bad. Yeah. Just, like, comply. And they'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll sleep with you or whatever. Yeah, and, then and they'd strangle fucking strangle him to yeah. death. Yeah, I know. So, anyways. Um... I mean, I, there was a there was something that I read about his defense attorney saying that just DNA does not indicate murder. So basically what he's saying is, like, his DNA could be on this chick, but the, it, there's no yeah. evidence of him killing her. And it's like, what are the odds? <laughs> he might have raped her, but he didn't murder her. He's <laughs> not a monster. What are the odds that that happened? Especially because he's over here saying, like, I've never met these people in my life. Well, then why is your semen on them? Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Like, semen just doesn't go willy-nilly all over the place. I mean, it does, but... <laughs> Never mind. We're not going to get into this. <laughs> all right. Anyway. I want to know how you know that. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for today, folks. We will be back next week with another episode. So, until then, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to Southwest Crime on the various podcast platforms with which you listen to. Um, yeah. And until next time, stay safe out there. And please, for the love of God, don't fucking hitchhike. It's Hitchhiking not is bad. safe. It's not safe. Hitchhiking not good. It's not safe. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>